Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. And we are recording on the east end of Long Island. How's everyone today? Looking good? Warm and comfy. Warm and comfy. Welcome to summer. So, yes. so that was uh, Bill Sutton on the record button. Hey, Bill. Hello, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also with us is Brendan O'Reilly. Hi, Brendan. Hi, everyone. I'm Brendan. I'm the deputy managing editor. And Joe Shaw is with us once again. Hi, Joe. Hey, Annette. It's Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And my name is Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And we also have a very special guest today joining us from Cooperstown, New York, the uh, the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame, among other things. And um, and that is Lars Clementson. And Lars is the Hampton Bay School Superintendent. And now that Lars has nothing but free time on his hand because school's out, <laughs> we thought he would love to sit here and chat about what's going on in school in the school in the school news area. Are you being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, Lars? Is that why you're there? Yeah, they, they, my Hampton Bay's Bame and Little League days, uh, I guess, were recorded. So they, they, they summoned me up for the honor. And you thought no one was watching. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, so you've been spending a little bit of time. Is, is, is that right? Where you Have you been upstate for a little while, um, Lars? Yeah, a couple of days upstate, uh, wrapping up the school year. So it's an opportunity for the council, the school superintendents, to get together and debrief the year on some of the, the, the highs, the lows. And, uh, you know, summer's a good reset for us as we look to, you know, start the next year. Each year we've crawled back a little bit more towards what we might call normal at this point, but I'm not even sure we can use that word anymore. It seems like there's a lot of things that aren't normal right now. And, and one of the events that you took part in recently was a signing with Governor Kathy Hochul of Alyssa's Law. And this law was named for 14-year-old who was killed at the, during the Parkland massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School in 2018. And the law is interesting because it really addresses the whole idea of requiring schools to consider certain upgrades to their security in order to prevent these kinds of shootings. And, and one of the things that came out of it is the consideration of the use of the silent panic alarm systems in developing programs. And I guess, Lars, now the reason that you were up there is because um, you're on the New York School Superintendent's Executive Board, right? I am, yeah, and a past president of the Suffolk County School Superintendent Association. And in that role in 2018, I uh, was an author on our uh, Blueprint for School Safety post-Parkland actions. And of course, here we are again. I mean, the thing that's so strange, I think, about the dovetailing of, of these two events is that you had the Uvalde shooting um, on May 24th, where that was in Texas, where 21 people, 19 of them school children, were shot by a, a 19-year-old who had gotten in there with an AR-15. And then at the same time, we also had the Supreme Court recently overrule New York's ability to limit concealed carry. So that must be utmost in your mind. And I'm just wondering, what are people in your field talking about, you know, between the school shooting that seemed to go very awry, I mean, in a way that the rescue effort was just really, really poorly organized out there in Texas, to the point where you now have a concealed carry ability in New York, that's got to be really 
making you a little concerned, I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I you know, our, our heads spin in these instances. And if, um, you know, my after Uvalde, um, spent a lot of time, you know, trying to message, um, you know, using our platforms and, you know, my own social media platform, just with, with the hashtag do the work and uh, just how important it is after these massacres for everyone to do the work. And we saw this after Sandy Hook and we saw this after Parkland and we saw this after Buffalo and then Uvalde and um, and then a number of school, uh, shoot, mass shooting incidents since then um, that everybody runs to their corner and says, well, it's not my thing, it's that thing. And you know, it's mental health, it's not the guns, it's the guns, it's not mental health. It's schools need better training, it's law enforcement needs better training. It's it, everybody runs to their uh, preferred solution to the problem. And, um, you know, now more than ever, you know, with everybody just talking, whatever the issue is, you know, substitute school safety for reproductive rights, for uh, a war in Ukraine, for the economy, for whatever, everybody just yells and is up here. So um, school leaders head spin after this because we do the work um, after each of those incidents, dating back to Columbine. I worked in the Texas legislature uh, the day of the Columbine shooting and remember that vividly about how training instantly changed, where uh, outside of Columbine, the police formed, waited to get their tactical unit together. And we saw what a, uh, you know, what a tragedy that was. And training changed instantly to go for the first person on the scene to go to the sound of the troublemaker and eliminate that trouble as quickly as possible. And we didn't see that happen in Uvalde. Uh, so yeah, our heads spin. We have to be better at you know, training drills. I watched my six-year-old uh, simulate a lockdown drill in my yard after he got off the bus. And, you know, that kind of takes your breath away. And um, so, yeah, the kids are doing their part. School leaders are doing their part. Faculty and staff are doing their part, but everybody else has to as well and not hide in their corner saying, it's not my thing, it's your thing. So everyone does what Alyssa's law, it's a state law, right? Um, and and Alyssa, uh, um, I, I don't want to mispronounce her name. How do, how do you pronounce the last name? Alyssa Al-Hadin, I believe. Al-Hadin. Al-Hadin. She was born in New York, right? That's, that's one of the reasons why the law is named for her here in New York. Uh, she was a student at, at, at Marjorie Douglas, but um, she, she was born here in New York, right? She was. And I had the opportunity to meet her grandparents um, who... Uh, were present at the bill signing as well. Her parents were scheduled to come up from Florida uh, for it as well. But if you follow uh, airlines or you've tried to travel, their their flight was delayed, so they they unfortunately couldn't be present but zoomed in. Alyssa's law is a commitment by the state to require that school districts in their annual school safety planning consider the use of one button lockdown um, technology. Now, school safety plans are largely confidential documents because you don't wanna give the playbook to the bad guy, right? So um, in the planning process, you know, the public has access to some of the higher level uh, commitments and philosophies about school safety, about risk reduction, um, about both prevention and response in school safety. But the real tactical, um, here's what we do, here are the buttons we have, here are the tools that we have, here are the codes that we use, are confidential documents that are developed uh, through committees at school and in partnership with law enforcement. So Alyssa's law is a requirement that when we're considering all of these things, 
um, about how we evacuate, how we shelter in place, where we go if we have to go offsite. That a, a component of that decision-making process and planning is can we lock a building down with one button and can we activate a law enforcement response um, it, it quickly um, and throughout the building? 140,000 square feet, many doors, um, many phones, bad things could happen in lots of different places. So you wanna give uh, in the planning process, you have to consider how, how many tools can we give uh, to as large a group of people to activate an emergency response if necessary. So Alyssa's law encourages states, not just New York, her family's moving this across the country to make sure this is a conversation across the nation. Lars, why is it that the law is just uh, that they consider this? It doesn't seem to have any teeth, right? Is there any money on the table for the districts that adopt this? Uh, well, over the last several years, there's been a considerable amount of investment in public education. So specific school safety dollars beyond maybe competitive grants. Uh, no, there's not a stream of funding for it, but uh, districts through the foundation aid process and all the COVID uh, relief dollars, there's been a considerable amount of dollars and resources for schools to consider this. They're not tremendously expensive uh, solutions. Um, the idea is that I think that local control is important and school boards and their leadership teams are gonna consider this. We have districts like Sachem in Suffolk. Suffolk County is a great microcosm of New York State. We have the largest non-city school districts in Brentwood and Sachem and the smallest in Wayne Scott and Sagaponic, a one room schoolhouse to a campus with multiple buildings. And so it's important to preserve that ability, I think, for school districts to figure out what is going to be the smartest approach to school safety. Consider all of these things, but make the decision that's gonna work best for your district and your campuses. But, but let me ask, why, why the law then, Lars? Just, just to follow up on Brendan's question, I'm a little unclear about what, what is, why was this law necessary? What, what is the real world impact of this law um, on New York schools? I think so. So the law is going to require now that uh, when the state education, when we have to submit our safety plans to the state education department, we have to make a, a number of assurances. And I think this the, the teeth in this law is that, and in many cases, the work is done. You know, many of our school districts have these type of tools and um, in place. And so it's an easy box to check. Um, but I think it's a commitment by the legislature and the governor to say, uh, we're going to, we are going to mandate, you have to consider this, that um, do you have to use it, that that's not in the law, do you have, are we paying for it as a state, that's not in the law, but it at least puts at the top of the page, the conscious conversation of, will this work for us? How can we implement something like this? And to have that acknowledgement that, hey, we have a lot, we have big buildings that are very dynamic places. You know, we're, we're constantly moving, different activities are going on, and what are the resources that are available? Now in 2018, and certainly in 2012, technology has advanced considerably. And so um, the idea of school safety planning is that it is also a dynamic tool. And so by putting that requirement in, every July when a district has to sit down and go through this process, keeps it top of page. Hey, we didn't have this, let's do this now. New technologies available, new resources are available so that a school safety plan doesn't become set it and forget it. 
if a, if a district decided not to implement it, would it would it be required to offer some explanation as to how it considered it and why it reached the conclusion not to? Is that part of what you're you're saying? Or I don't understand that to be a component of of the. Uh, of the law. Um, when we go through the school safety planning process, there are a number of guardrails that we have that exist in the planning. Consider your shelter in place drills, think about these things. And then we we put that through the filter of Hampton Bay School District. So it's more example. of a checklist. Yeah. Lars, did the rave panic button go anywhere? Is that in use anywhere on the East End? Uh, districts are using things like rave. So rave is Coke to another product's Pepsi, right? So Rave exists. Um, the funding initially existed for it to be provided, um, but some districts have different systems. Can you explain? Can you explain what that is, real quick? Yeah. So Rave is a is an app on your phone that creates like a geofence almost and identifies through coordinates where you. Uh, like a hypersensitive location almost that if you're within a school, you can activate a 911 call by pressing the app on your phone. You can also call 911 on your phone and many districts have phones in every classroom that dial out. So it's a belt, it's suspenders, it's holding your pants up. It's all of those things that um, an individual might use to activate a 911 response. So Rave is, it will have a big red button on the app and you click active shooter or you click medical emergency or you click um, any other number of, of things and it'll activate the response with the idea that minutes matter and we get a 911 response. Um, now the East End is different in that we have many different police departments compared to the Western part of the county um, who is in the jurisdiction of Suffolk County Police Department. And so, um, rave works there are there are other there are other programs as well that not only activate law enforcement for example but one button can lock every door so that even the badges that uh, a staff member might have or might get into the wrong hands that they won't work either so with a with a press of a button you can activate law enforcement strobe lights outside of your school to let outside folks know stay away um and then also to lock the physically lock the building down I'm curious what direction you think the winds are blowing in and how soon they might get there. In five or 10 years, is every, is every district going to have armed guards at schools while school's in session? Is the problem doors? Is every district gonna have one set of doors to get in and out that's like a fortress? I, I've heard a lot that doors are the problem and that it's not shooters. Is the problem doors? No, the problem is not doors. Um, you know, that's just saying that in order for schools to be safe, we have to teach kids to hide better. You know, that that's that's again back to your corner where it's your only that's the response. No way. Um, we just went through COVID-19 where we were told, don't bring people in the same doors, diffuse them, separate them. So uh, camp and now, you know, it, it's which is the least of the big problems. Um, no, you should be able to walk in multiple doors. So we have a program that's in use that if a door stays open for a, uh, longer than a set period of time, 90 seconds or something like that, um, it'll indicate in the security officer's um, booth that the, the back hallway door is open. Um, that uh, these 150,000 square foot building with multiple parking lots on every side and seniors coming in and staff in and out and vendors coming in and out, food deliveries, um, no, we're going to have to use multiple doors. And school safety planning 
is to control for humans, right? So we have the technological pieces in place. We have the human training pieces in place. We have the hardening in place. We need laws about sensible gun safety in place. We need the partnerships with law enforcement in place because humans can fail. Humans can look away. Humans can run to the bathroom. All of those things are possible because we're human. And so we need all of the things in place. Armed guards, that's an ongoing conversation that is really local to a community. There are some law enforcement positions that believe uh, they don't want to come to a building where they don't know who has a gun and who doesn't. Um, that complicates a law enforcement response. And so in that respect, time is more important, getting law enforcement there quickly. Um, some communities say uh, having an armed individual on campus is important because it could eliminate the threat in the, in the three minutes it takes for a sector car to get there, for example. Um, will this stop being talked about in the future? I don't think so. I think armed guards will always be topic conversation. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. I'm curious, as an educator, how do you do the difficult calculus that despite the number of school shootings and, and you know, the alarming number that we've seen in the last few years, 99% of schools will never see that kind of violence. And yet preparing for that kind of violence takes a toll on the student body and the faculty all, all its own. I mean, we were talking about, you know, the move towards making schools like fortresses, and that has an impact on the student body and on the faculty as well. I mean, at the same time, you don't want to be the school district that's not prepared for an incident when it arises. How do you do that calculus? I mean, you and, and all of your colleagues that, that you're up in uh, up there in Cooperstown with have to be talking about this, but there there is sort of a a balance sheet here, isn't there? I mean, you can't go overboard and, and terrify everybody all the time either. Right, right. It's the same with fire safety, right? So we had to do 12 fire drills forever. We remember them when we were kids and the likelihood of there being a school fire is minimal, but when there is a school fire, it can be devastating. Um, and so, yeah, we, we can't create schools as fortresses because then you create the humans inside of them who have been who have been sealed up and locked down for their entire life. And what does that do for society? And what does that do for humanity? And, you know, all those bigger questions. Um, but school safety takes a lot of, so these practices, for example, are not just for um, a gunman or an active shooter. 
Um, it's for uh, a domestic dispute out in a parking lot, you know, the ability to lock down and have the agility to do a modified lockdown where I can lock down every door where nobody enters, but I can move safely within the building. Um, so school safety is the worst case scenario of an active shooter with loss of life to the most mild, there's a pit bull that jumped the fence and is in the backyard, right? So we're teaching, the calculus is really teaching decision-making, judgment, um, and training your body to respond to those things because there's a physiological response when you're when you're in a crisis situation, right? Fight or flight and all the physiological things that happen, your, your vision narrows, you can't hear as clearly. And so you need to get into muscle memory, open the door, sweep the hallway, turn the lights, turn the blinds, get the kids out. You know, that has to be just reflexive like that. Um, for the worst case scenario or anything short of that where you just need to protect your students. So um, we can't have fortresses, um, but we have to do some level of training and protect for protection. So, so we, we, just, we just passed Alyssa's law. Are, are, there, other, are there other bills forthcoming um, in the state? What, as, as a school administrator and as a member of, of the State Superintendents Association, what what would you like to see come from the state federal government and, and and maybe even local governments to to help help you better prepare um for for these safety plans yeah so the lowest hanging fruit is money right, right? so so more money for for example uh in our covid relief federal dollars that that flowed from congress um we hired an additional social worker our challenge over the next 18 months when those grant funds dry up is to figure out a way to have that person now live in the general fund of our budget that is funded by state aid and property taxes. Um, the extension of those dollars or more of those dollars will only allow more mental health support. Um, police departments are asking for the same thing, more school resource officers. So these are sworn law enforcement individuals who uh, do a lot of preventative work with us. Um, additional training on the red flag law is important and the expansion of the number of people who can make a red flag petition with judges is important to healthcare professionals, mental health professionals, for example. Um, all of those things are important. Um, but as, as much as the reaction to school safety is needed and those funds will support those things that I just mentioned, also all that preventative work is important as well. A, it, looking at mental health as a crisis epidemic in the nation is important too. We have a crisis of math and science teachers. We can't find people. We have bilingual teachers. We can't find people. We need school social workers, school psychologists, a, a national effort to create that sort of reserve where um, mental health, emergency mental health um, is available. We've seen that on the East End. Uh, Assemblyman Thiel and then Senator Laval created the South Fork Mental Health Initiative to have crisis response to a kid in, to a kid in mental health crisis at school. Uh, to get them up to Stony Brook Child Psychology Emergency Unit is an, over an hour away when we, can, when we can get more immediate response and then follow up. Um, that is a prevention for school safety measures as well. 
Hi, this is Ellen DiOgardi. I'm the director of events for the Express News Group. I'm also the president of the Sag Harbor Chamber of Commerce. Community really matters to all of us at this company. I know it's a good part of why I'm here. We've hosted more than 50 of our Express Sessions events in Southampton, East Hampton, and Sag Harbor, focusing on issues that matter most to residents of the East End. We bring the most important government and community leaders and topic experts together in one room, and we often find answers to complicated questions, and we grow stronger together. This all takes staff time and company resources, but it's our job, and I'm happy to say we really love our work. But we can't do it without our subscribers. If this kind of community work is important to you, you can support it by becoming a subscriber. To subscribe, visit 27east.com slash subscribe, and thank you. So I'm wondering, the, the Supreme Court decision that now allows gun owners to carry concealed weapons, does does that spark a new conversation amongst you and your fellow superintendents? I mean, I haven't really processed what that law really is going to mean, but what does it mean for you when something like this comes across the desk? Yeah, I, it, to me, it feels like um, we're not in the weeds, that, th- that this lives alone. Concealed carry lives alone, and we're going to make that decision based on that. Um concealed carry in schools, on school field trips, on buses. Uh, it's, it's concerning that, it, that that might be a big broad brush that that decision was, was handed down. Now the press conference, if you watched um, in the governor's office last week, uh, was delayed a few minutes because the Supreme, it was just the exact time that the Supreme Court let that ruling, um, uh, made that ruling public. And uh, the governor and her counsel had to spend some time quickly digesting that. And you really felt the response from her when she walked into the room. Um, you know, those who say um, more guns help with people who, bad guys with guns, that's a philosophy, but it can't be the only one. It, you know, more guns is not the answer, the only answer here. Um, gun safety, reasonable safety measures. Uh, you know, we, we're reasonable in how we uh, let people drive cars and get cars inspected and registered and licensed to drive. And um, none of this is going to be perfect, but all of it together can be good or better than what it is right now. And I think we need to stop looking for the perfect solution and say it's a whole bunch of these things. This is a multi-headed monster that needs a multi-headed solution. We know your time is limited and you got to go get start having conversations with your colleagues to get this stuff. Uh, I imagine this is going to be part of the conversations you're having all all week up there. So, uh, Lars, what are all of your titles? Your superintendent of Pampton Bay schools. Anything else? Yeah. Um, well, Kim would say husband. Let's we'll start there. Um, uh, dad, uh, superintendent of Hampton Bay's uh, public schools. And uh, I'm now the treasurer of the Council of School Superintendents in New York State and past president of Suffolk County School Superintendent Association. Congratulations on getting getting that law through. That's a you know, that's not a small thing. So, yeah, the, the council and the New York State School Board Association, nice it. Um, it was it was great for. You know, in, in my opinion, when when any governor can say the words Hampton Bays, that's important. You know, we want Hampton Bays to be um, in people's subconscious even. Um, but it was an, a nice opportunity to have both Hampton Bays represented and, and my colleagues in the superintendency as well. And it got Hampton Bays on the front page of the paper. So. And I like that, too. That's, that's always crazy. a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Lars, thank you for doing this. Absolutely. I appreciate you all. Enjoy your summer, too. 
Yes. Thank you. You too. Hit a home run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you obviously didn't see me play Little League. <laughs> I'm waiting for the tape to show. Right. Up. <laughs> Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sacharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.